Right. Uh, okay. Let's go with it. Are we going? Yeah. Very cool. Well, how the hell are you? <laughs> good. It's, it's good to see you again. Uh, yes. Happy Saturday. <laughs> yeah, happy Saturday. Uh, how are things going with you? Busiest man that ever lived. That's what I've heard. That's what you've been telling me. Yeah, we thought about naming this show uh, Everybody Wants a Piece of Elliot. Oh, really? Yes. Because <laughs> there's a big long line of clients waiting to waiting to work with me. And that goes back uh, several years too, doesn't it? People that have known you. Because I mean, yeah. I mean, I was just telling you the other day, like I've known you for almost 15 now at this point. Yeah. That's a long time. And I, I don't lose clients. That's no. What, that's what happens is like... And then those clients tell their friends about me, and then I start working for those people, and it just kind of snowballs. Oh, man. Everybody needs an editor. That's what I learned. Well, that's what's an interesting thing about this business is that there's certain skill sets that you people need mm -hmm. on a set or people need to, to work on a film, and you've fallen into one of those categories that is like, Everybody needs one of them. Yeah, like you can you can find you can always find a director or a writer or an actor, but sometimes finding an editor or you know anything, even maybe even sound or something like that, is a little bit harder. Yeah, a little bit more specific. And I know, and I know specifically for me, I'm like I will always pay for someone to edit the film because that was never anything that I wanted to get into or, or never like had the patience for. And so, for someone like you who's just really really done it for a long time, it's phenomenal and i yeah. think that's why so many people are like give me elliot like i need elliot on my on my film because he's just got the right skill set for everything yeah it's weird i thought that la would be full of people like dying to write scripts and wanting to put out pages but that doesn't seem to be the case everyone likes to talk about ideas for movies they have but no one likes to actually sit down and do the mm -hmm. hard work even though it's fun work like i love doing just first drafts of screenplays because it's all creative mm -hmm. or problem solving that sort of thing is fun to me well and i've also heard i've talked to several editors and i've even heard some some people who are in like really high up in the industry they've talked about what editing is at a core or at the core and it's almost like getting to do another draft mm -hmm. which that is the one thing that's actually appealed to me as far as like if i was going to undertake uh, editing as a process is that getting to do a whole nother draft of your of your script or of your film is is I mean that's what you have to do anyway. Yeah. You know they tell you to write and write and write and uh, just constantly rewrite and make it better and make changes and you know um, trial and error and do all this and then editing is just another completely another version yeah. of that. And the good thing about that is that you get the visual aspect with that as well. You see all of the images that were filmed, you see all of the colors, all of the everything and with writing it's all like memory based. Yeah. And so as an editor you get to actually it's it's a you know it taps into a, another sense for you. Yeah. And it's wonderful. And editing is the only draft that people see. So mm -hmm. Technically, whatever came before the edit doesn't really matter because there's the it, no one knows what the script is or nobody was on set except for the actors and the crew. So once a movie goes out into the world, it's only the final draft, the edit, that matters. So it's it's really the most important part of the process. Well, I remember I remember one time I used to I used to play piano a long long time ago when when I was kind of coming up as um as a child. You know, everybody's trying to find their creative juices. I used to play piano a long time ago, and the one thing that I was always terrified about was like screwing up in front of an audience. And I remember it was, I don't remember who gave me the advice, but somebody told me one time that the only people who are going to know 
if you've screwed up is you and your teacher, basically. Yeah. The audience will never know. So on a film, like the people who made it might look at it and go, God, I really wish that edit would have been different. But only people who are going to think that are you and the other people yeah. who worked on it. Everybody else that's watching it has no idea what's going on. Yeah. And uh, and I think that advice is wonderful as if you're if you're ever nervous about uh, you know performing for someone or or worried about screwing up. It's like the only people who are going to know that are you and the and the people who worked on it with you. Yes. Everybody else has no clue what's going on. Yes. So well, and also the people in the audience are also they're second guessing themselves about what they're wearing that day, who they're with, where they <laughs> sat. You know, so everyone is going through that internal struggle I think everyone is second-guessing themselves well, all the time it's a uni I think it's a universal trait for things that are just going on like in day-to-day -day life like you're always second-guessing am I wearing the right clothes are these glasses perfect for me do I have the right haircut like yeah the whole world is is built on this idea that you know we're all judging each other secretly in right. our minds like it's just it's just one big judgment after after the other and nobody's satisfied with anything yeah so that's uh, one helpful bit of advice i heard though is that don't worry about what like you think other people are constantly judging you and watching you and thinking about you but they're not they're thinking about themselves mm -hmm. and worried about what other people are thinking of them well so, it's funny it's funny cuz that point like you think they're judging you, but they're actually probably judging themselves yes. more than anything. Right. They're probably they're probably judging themselves harder than they're judging you, and they're probably you're probably not even on their radar. Yeah. Probably you're probably just you know another person walking down the road. Yeah. Just like they are. But I think um, back to editing. I think it's the best way to learn about the industry as a whole because you get to see the results of what all of the departments are doing. Mm -hmm. You get to learn a little bit about costumes and locations and writing and performances and music and how everything fits together. So you get to you get to at least know what different departments are doing. And you and and as an editor, you see it all. Uh, as one whole grouping like you don't see them like necessarily individually like as a costumer you're only focusing on one aspect of it I mean yeah mm -hmm. you probably talk to other people on set and you probably get some ideas about things but ultimately your your job is to do that one thing or if you're the set designer well your whole focus is on like what does this set look like yeah uh, or or you know as the director you're just directing the actors or, or whatever but as the editor you see um, like all of those elements together. So yeah. you need to see every just different department come together and you kind of have that, maybe not the final word necessarily, but you get that, you know, somewhat of a final say in like how these things put are put together yeah. in their final form. And you've been doing this for a while, if I remember correctly. I think you've been doing this since you were, what, maybe 17 almost? So yeah. you've been doing it for, you know, well, what? I, I, start, I mean, I started making kids or making uh, home videos, like like movies with, with family members and friends in the basement. Just um, setting up a scene, filming it, cutting, setting up another scene, filming it, almost like a play. And then learned how to edit when the first uh, iMac came out, the colorful ones okay. that had like the neon colors. And that was really exciting to suddenly be able to edit a movie. And I didn't understand before that what editing is, because editing is invisible right it's mm -hmm. meant to make you forget about editing if it's done right you're just you're swept up in whatever the story is and the characters see i've always been i've always been on the other side i've always been like the storyteller guy when i was younger i used to just take like the old vhs tapes which i'm sure nobody's going to remember but 
um, I used to take the, and we would just go out in the in the backyard and just film stuff. Yeah. Or we would go to a neighbor's house and we would just film stuff together and. Uh, you know, and it, we wouldn't really have like a cohesive story. We'd be like, let's just put the camera on someone and like, let's just do something. Yeah. A lot of times it was sports related or a lot of times it was, you know, we want to make our own, you know, Blair Witch home video or, or, or anything. It was just more about let's just put the um, content together, which is kind of ironic because when I came out to LA, I never really wanted to like be someone who was about content. Like I never really wanted to put out like a YouTube show or I never, but really I've been kind of grooming myself for that for, you know, what, 15, 16 years now? Like it just, it just predates all the stuff that people now have kind of been able to parlay into like somewhat of a career. But like that's, that was stuff that we just did for fun as kids. We used to just go out to the park or wherever we'd just film whatever came to mind and it was just fun. It was just yeah. fun to, to experiment with it. I was the same way. I like I would enjoy just watching home videos. Like we would go on vacation or go to the zoo as a family and just somebody would be filming along the way. And I liked being able to relive memories. You know, it's, it's, it's a really special thing, even if nothing exciting is happening. Or to see yourself on camera. It's like, oh, that's how people perceive me or that's what I look like to the rest of the world. Well, that's what it was. It was all it was all just a record of uh, of of memories that you would normally have to just remember in yeah. your head. It was just it was just a video record of everything and that's all it was to people. It was just like I wanted to see or I want to remember what that was like uh, at that time because then you can go back and like pinpoint like okay, here's the moment where man, I shouldn't have worn that damn yeah. you know bowler hat when I was 15 or whatever. Um and uh, and that and that goes back to a you know I think even our parents were like that. My mom still has uh, you know uh, video records of me in third grade at like a, a third grade concert that you know she's kept this whole time. Yeah. Just to have that record of like what were you like in third grade? What you know what kind of person were you? What did you look like? And, yeah. And it's just fun to kind of come back because not everybody has like a good visual memory for things some people need like actual visual images in front of them and so i think that filming is 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 the way to to create that for them yeah so what i'm really enjoying now is taking old home video footage that was shot like in 1990 and editing it together now knowing everything i've learned over the years about editing because i do a lot of sizzle reels now where you have to keep things interesting and exciting so it's fun to take those old home movies and just sort of treat them like source footage and it's how, how can I edit this in a fun interesting entertaining way well but, that well there's there's it's interesting to look back because that's that's a like to say 1990 that's a long time ago now yeah it doesn't seem like it's a long time ago but say 1990 that's 30 years ago now at mm-hmm. this point I mean that's I mean it's just ridiculous I remember when I first heard like the term early 90s I was like blown away by how much time that yeah is now at this point and like growing up in that time you're like well that was my childhood and i'm like is that am i are we really that old now this much time passed yeah so um it's fun though that you just learn you start out just very basic filming with a home video camera and then hooking it up to a tv and watching it and then little by little things develop like we we started um dressing up in costumes and playing characters and doing parodies of specific movies and scenes. And then things continued to grow where we started to use 
bigger and better cameras, editing software, microphones, lighting, locations, and it's just like every project you try and make it a little bit better over the span of 30 years. And by the end of it, you know, it's fun to compare the movies we made in 1990 versus the movies we make today. Well, just all I, the little t tips and tricks you learn. When I, one of the things that got me when I was younger was the ability to like record like blank VHS tapes. Um, you know, before we had um, like DVDs and, and, and burnable CDs and things like that. Uh, so I remember going to the store one time and I remember seeing um, one of my favorite shows is The Simpsons, which I'm, yes. you know, there's a whole. Uh, yeah, I got Frank Grimes behind, <laughs> there my, go. He's behind right my there. screen. Perfect. One of my favorite characters. Yeah, he's my uh, spirit animal. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, but uh, dur during that time, I remember like VHS was like uh, you know pretty 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 at the top of like what you would watch for visual mediums. Yeah. And um, I remember going through the store one day, and I remember seeing they had uh, VHS of like specific Simpsons episodes, and I remember saying. Uh, I want to buy that. Yeah. Remember someone telling me, uh, "Why don't you just get a blank, um, like a blank VHS tape, and just record, like just record the episode on when it's on TV, and then you can save it forever." Yeah. And I was so blown away by that idea that I was like, "Why didn't I think about this before?" Why? Yeah. I? So I would do. I I don't know if I have them anymore, but I used to have just tapes of all of those episodes, like every episode that you could catch, because yeah. there was no way to record them. You know, you would just, if you see them on TV, you have to catch them at the time that they were on, yeah. and then uh, that was it, and then you'd have to just wait for the next week. It's but, hard, yeah, it's hard for young people now to realize what it was like back then, mm -hmm. to, to not have instant access to everything. So a show would be on, and you'd have to watch it, or wait for it to come back in syndication, or record <laughs> it on a VHS and label it. I mean, now you can just go and type in whatever your favorite Simpsons episode is, and there'll be 10 different ways you can watch it. <laughs> but even we were spoiled too, because think back to like when Star Wars came out, the original Star Wars, you had to see it in a theater, and it would just come to your town for a month or six months, whatever, and then it would leave, and you would never be able to see it again. That that also reminds me of like the, the difference in um, inflation that has happened over the last yeah. 30 years as well. I used to be able to go to the movie theaters and have like two dollar Tuesday night movies, mm -hmm. uh, and, and then and, and we could go and see anything, like yeah. anything that was playing for two dollars. Yeah. And now it's like a whole, it's like a whole, uh, you know, it, it's like tripled. Yeah. You know the amount of it's it's like you 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 can go see four movies for yeah. what the price was back then. So. And there, I feel like there's way more commercials and stuff ahead of time like mm -hmm. there's a whole pre-game show it's like the super bowl mm -hmm. everyone's got to get their ads in you know i like trailers <laughs> like it's fun to see ads for upcoming movies that's what it used to be like you'd go and see a movie and there'd be three or four trailers and again that was the only way to see these trailers now it's just like trailers just kind of come out on youtube and mm -hmm. you see them or somebody posts them on social media but seeing a trailer in the theater used to be a really exciting thing I think that trailers is kind of a, an interesting topic as well because they've they've I think they've sort of evolved to some degree over the last few years. It used to be like when you would see it, you would see like a one minute deal, mm -hmm. and you'd be like instantly hooked. Yeah. Like there was never any question about whether you wanted to go see it or not. You either wanted to or you didn't. You knew immediately um, whether or not you wanted to go see the movie. And now 
uh, I the complaint that I hear a lot about it is they reveal too much in the trailer. Yeah. You know, you oh, you like oh, there are a lot of the jokes that I read online are all based around, um, you know, the uh, fact that well, I've already like in the two and a half minutes that this trailer has come out, I've basically seen the whole movie. There's mm -hmm. no reason to go see it anymore. Yeah. Um, because they've just basically revealed all the stuff. Yeah. That you would probably that you're gonna see in the movie, and also sometimes what they do is they'll insert. Uh, clips that were filmed but that don't make it into the finished cut yeah so then they deceive you yeah and you expect to see certain things um but then you end up seeing the movie and you're like well that was a disappointment like, yeah i have no idea where did that come from yeah why am i not seeing this this uh this scene you know because yeah. i saw it in the trailer right so i started doing um sort of a movie review channel or a movie i should say a movie review show on my on my channel where I uh, cut my own trailer for the film. Because I've always been a big advocate of, of, of that is one of the best promotional ways to uh, advertise. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I've always lacked in understanding of as far as being in the film industry is the marketing and the advertising, unless it's a trailer. Yeah. I, I've always, I can pinpoint which trailers are entertaining and which ones are just flopping from basically what people have have said and so I decided that maybe one of the ways that I can kind of learn another skill set or just maybe kind of get more uh, stuff out there is to like well what are the things that are gonna draw people in well the trailer the trailer mm -hmm. is gonna be the number one uh, so let's cut it in a way let's figure out a way to make that trailer more enticing and bring more people in so maybe that's my my go-to now is like well I'm gonna advertise this way yeah I'm gonna cut the trailer the way that I think people will find it interesting and want to go uh, see the film because yeah. you need sort of a balance of like I need to be able to see like what the enough to know what the film's going to be about but it also has to be uh, ambiguous enough to where you're not giving away everything and yeah. they're gonna they're enticing people to go to go and see it do you ever think about what the trailer might be for a movie you're writing like when you're in the screenwriting phase sometimes I do yeah um, I, I focus uh, kind of more on like what is the poster? Yeah. Or what is the images gonna be like? As we can all see, yes. <laughs> it's like the the biggest thing. Uh, that's so gonna I loved I love doing that. If, if there's an idea for a movie that you want to write, you design a poster or hire somebody else to design a poster and print it out and put it on your wall, and then it's like you you almost have to write it, you know, because ideas just come and go, mm -hmm. but. A poster also helps you hone the idea. If you haven't yet written it, the poster can help you reflect on what the style should be and the tone and what your theme is. Because the poster should encapsulate all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So when you're writing the script, you can, you can, uh, all of your elements can help to serve the poster. Or maybe you need a new poster, but it's a good thing to. That's constantly, I think, a good thing to think about. Well, I mean, and also, like, I think, and then I think this is something you actually told me is like when I first came out here, there were so several aspects about the industry that I just was like completely um, not privy to. And I think one of the things was a poster, like yeah. for your film. I never, I never used to think about that. Um, but I remember you telling me that that's like one of the biggest things that people will look at if you're trying to sell. Your script, like what yeah. does the what is the image that represents your film? Yeah, what does that look like, or what does that mean, or what do people see when they see it? Yeah, and so um, I started thinking about like as I started writing, as I started becoming, in my opinion, a better writer or just evolving as a writer. Um, 
to what does that poster look like? What is the image that I'm trying to portray? Mm -hmm. So that when they when they slap it on the billboard or they or they put it up on a on a marquee, what are people seeing and is it interesting enough yeah. to to grab people's attention? Yeah. So um, yeah, you're selling a product. It's mm -hmm. just like selling anything else. Um, so it's why to why would people want to <laughs> spend money on your thing? And one thing I learned is it's it has so much to do with movie stars or something that people, I mean, that it's hard to sell a movie that doesn't have movie stars. Mm -hmm. You need something like an outrageous poster or an outrageous concept or something. But the whole industry kind of revolves around celebrities, or it used to. It might change now because of COVID. But that's something I never considered when I made my first three movies was how am I going to market these or what are they going to look like? I mean, ultimately, you end up as a tiny thumbnail on Netflix or Amazon or HBO. You know, you get two inches as people are scrolling by <laughs> next to Avatar and The Godfather. So it's that's the other thing is you're not you get no leeway for being independent mm. or for um, doing it on credit cards and loans or just, you know, you're living out a dream. Nobody cares. You're just you made a movie. It's a product you're in capitalism competing against other <laughs> movies. So there's you have to you have to stand out. And that's what's really cool about independent films that that do stand out and that have made a splash like Slacker or Clerks, mm -hmm. you know, where they are able to stand up toe to toe with big budget rivals of the time. It's interesting that you bring that up because that actually that actually reminds me of a good story or or, or an important story rather because I think uh, because when I first met you, it was auditioning for your first feature. Mm -hmm. And I remember that you told me that I was going to be the runner-up to one of the leads in the film. And, and I, I hadn't heard anything like that before. So I was like so mesmerized by that. I was like, well, this is a guy that I want to work with forever then. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember that me and you, we bonded actually quite a bit over like Kevin Smith and Clerks yeah. and Jason Mewes and that whole, um, like that whole grouping. Um and actually, but while I was driving over here, I was actually watching, it was from a couple of years ago, but I was watching Kevin Smith on uh, the Joe Rogan po podcast, oh, actually, yes. interestingly cool. enough, um, talking about some stuff. And um, I remember thinking, uh, like when he made, when he made Clerks, just what that process was, he had built up enough credit to where he could just max out a bunch of credit cards yeah. to make that film, to buy or to rent the camera, the sound equipment, the location, um, all and, and and everything you know that goes with making a film. Yeah. Um, and it's I'm kind of curious to see if independent film is going to kind of come storming back in a way now with the way things are kind of shaping because it's so easy to like do any sort of like media nowadays, yeah. like podcasting is huge. You know, uh, YouTube channels are, are huge to, to, for some people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and especially with this, this pandemic that's been going on, uh, there, there's the, the major studios are going to take a huge hit or are taking a huge hit yeah. with their finances. And, you know, I don't know if they're going to want to continue to, to pump out like these large stars fees right when there's they're gonna have to recoup so yeah. many losses so i wonder if independent film is gonna is gonna make kind of a bigger a bigger comeback now yeah i think now uh podcasting and things over skype where people don't have to be in the same room mm -hmm. um and youtube shows and vlogs and things like that but the cool thing is it all still needs to be edited mm -hmm. so as a, I, somebody sent me a funny meme where it was a picture of a video editor pre-quarantine 
and then a, a the same picture of the editor post quarantine. So like nothing had changed. You know, <laughs> we just sit at a computer and work on projects. So it's like an order takeout food. Nothing really changes. So that's. In, in terms of being an editor, it's awesome because the wheel never stops moving. All the camera people I know, actors, directors, they're all hurting because, you know, their way of life has been sort of decimated. <laughs> but in terms of writing, animating, editing, podcasting, YouTubing, that stuff, you like, it's cool if you can put on a show by yourself and just learn enough about cameras and microphones and editing that you don't need to rely on other people. And that's what I realized is... I just like getting ideas out and you don't need to make a big, you don't need to make a movie to express yourself. You can do it through coloring or telling jokes or writing music that I just like expressing myself through art, through quote unquote art, if I may. Well, it's good. It's a good, it's a good thing to have like multiple skill sets, I think as well too. And it just goes back to the same mentality. Like I remember Kevin Smith during one of his Q and A's, he said that um, uh, Robert Rodriguez was like his, one of his main inspirations for wanting to make a film. And I remember him saying or him telling uh, during that interview or during that Q&A that when Robert Rodriguez made El Mariachi, he had said like, well, I know I have access to a bus, a turtle and a guitar. Mm -hmm. So he's like, right away, I know those things are going in my film. I don't know yeah. how, but I know they're going in my film. Yeah. And so it's such a wonderful thing to be able to just, you don't have to necessarily find like, the greatest studio or the greatest, you know, location. You don't have to drive hundreds of miles to, um, you know, find find what you're looking for. You can literally just look around at what you have and utilize what you have. Yeah. And like that's where your creative juices, I think, come in. Is like maybe you have uh, a room in your place that you think would be good for something, but you're like, there's something off about it. Like I, I need to change it somehow. So that's where like your skill set comes in. Like. Maybe I can move this here, and maybe I can position this this here, and that'll give me the angle that I'm looking for. That'll give me the look that I'm looking for, and uh, and you can just you, you don't need to necessarily hire anybody. You don't need to wait for people to give you money or anything like that. You just set up what you have. You you manipulate the way that you want, and you just you just do it yeah. all by yourself almost. Yeah. Um, that so that's one thing I learned is um, you can't expect for your your uh, creative ambitions and your career to all line up as one for thing sure. and making money. For sure. You need to separate them and have them be two different journeys or at least have something small that's yours that you can play around with and be creative where nobody's giving you notes and you're not trying to make money. That's a big difference for me is I hate making movies because there's a bunch of money at risk mm -hmm. and you are, you're making a product and trying to sell it. If I just doodle a bunch of moody, movie characters on my wall I kind of get the same, the same benefit, the same artistic expression benefit, but it doesn't cost me anything. And if I get frustrated, I can just walk away. You can't walk away from a movie you're <laughs> right. like in production on. We're both from Minnesota, mm -hmm. uh, in case anybody wants to know. But uh, there's kind of a group of us like that had all kind of mutually known each other that had come out here, some before, some after each other. And I remember meeting up with some old high school friends when I first came out here. And uh, they had kind of gotten their foot in the door, mostly at the studio mm -hmm. level. And so, but they had made friends with um, several people out here at film school. And I remember when I first came out, I met one of them and he put me on one of his commercials. He was directing a commercial and he put me on that commercial. Just, I think this is just a PA or something like that. And it was so much fun. I loved the experience. It was so much fun. We got to drive to Sacramento to film it. 
Um, but one of the things he told me, and it's actually, it's scary how true it is, but he told me that investing in film is one of the worst ideas anybody can have. Yeah, it's like, Because it is such a risk. Yeah. And it is such a, like, gamble um, that, that, that nothing's going to happen with it. Yeah. Because who's going to care, yeah. you know? And that's why these studios are, are, like, really the only way that people will do that for the most part is that they have these huge budgets and they're willing to part with that money because they know that they're going to recoup that to yeah. some degree. Maybe not all the time, yeah. but it's just, and it's just, it frightened me how true that statement yeah. really is. And that was kind of the heartbreaking thing for me is that the people that make decisions and invest money in movies don't care about how good the movies are <laughs> right. or how artistic or creative they are. They just want to make money. Mm. So in terms, if you want to pitch a successful movie, you pitch it in terms of how much money it's going to mm -hmm. make or how similar it is to other movies that have made money. Not about how great it's going to be right. or how it's going to change the world or how it like it's a passion project for you and you right. put your heart and soul into it. They don't care. It's just how much. Well, know? I've it's it's interesting because it I feel like it's it's kind of a good it was a good thing to hear that because it's really changed my focus on like how I approach these things now. Yeah. Like I don't think about telling people like I often think about like well if I meet anybody who's going to want to produce this film or whatever. Um, what am I going to say to him? And I know the first thing I'm, I'm going to not say is, well, this is a, this is a, a personal project that I just, I've been waiting to, uh, you know, film for years. And now if you give me the money, I'll be able to do it. Yeah. And it's just, I, I can't, I'm, I can only imagine how many times people have tried to do that before. Um, or, 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 or found someone who was showed some level of interest, but they're just waiting to hear the pitch. Mm -hmm. And that was the other thing that I learned coming out here is that what's your pitch going to be? Like, how are you going to pitch the film that you want to make to somebody? Yeah. So I had to go back and look at all of the scripts that I've written and think about, like, how would I pitch this to somebody? Like, what, what would these be like? What would they come together as? What are these form when... Uh, you know, you see it up on the screen. What, what, what two elements bring those together? So I do feel like as, as frightening as that statement was, I do think it was a good thing to hear because now it's completely changed how I would approach anybody on if they were ever going to want to produce one of my projects, what would I say to them? How would yeah. I pitch it to them basically? Yeah. So that's why again, the poster is so important, mm -hmm. I think, because that's, that's half your pitch. It's like, your poster, your log line, and your title. Um, I've been told that people don't like people don't like reading scripts because mm -hmm. people don't like being sent them or handed them because <laughs> there are just so many in in Los Angeles, especially mm -hmm. that you want you want people to ask for your script after they've enjoyed your poster and your log line and mm -hmm. your title. So really, it it, it doesn't matter like how good the script is because people aren't going to read it in, unless you've made it past that initial barrier. So you, you need just a, you need a concept, I think, that's exciting enough for people to say, okay, I want to read, I'm, I'm willing to sit down and actually well, read something by a novice screenwriter. It's interesting that you say that because I've actually read a couple articles on, on several, or a few uh, A-list celebrities actually that have said very specifically that they don't read any scripts. Mm -hmm. Like they'll get sent one and if if the the pitch is good, um, 
they'll take it on. Like yeah. they'll they'll agree to do the project, but they won't read the script because it's always it's constantly changing. Yeah. Especially on certain types of movies, like the script will change daily. Yeah. You know, and so nobody knows like what the actual dialogue or scene is going to be. So people are just like, why do we need to read? you know, the script. I mean, they have a whole show for the most part that's dedicated to complete improv, that they yeah. don't script anything. And you can do an entire show. Whose line is it anyway? You can do an entire show with zero yeah. script for the most part, you know? Um, and uh, and so, th but then, then that brings to another interesting point too because there are several people, like several directors that I've read that will... Uh, insists that you do nothing but stick to the script. Yeah. In fact, I think Kevin Smith is one of those guys. I think he... I remember watching part of uh, uh, the features on a, on a DVD, and I remember him talking about like what, what he used to be like when he would make like films or like he would do stuff at his high school... And uh, the people that were involved with him would say, like, he was very adamant, like, yeah. do not ad lib, like, yeah. always stick to the script, like, this is why I wrote it, and to and and I get both sides. Like, yeah. one of the things that I think is important in, if you're gonna if you're gonna argue with anybody or if you're going to uh, you know uh, express a, a, a viewpoint is to understand both sides. So I get what they're saying because I think Jim Cameron is like that. Yeah. I know Kevin Smith is like that. I think even Tarantino is like that. And these are all people that I really enjoy watching their films. Yeah. So they must have a point about it. But I understand that they're thinking like, well, I've put all this time all this energy into writing this, rewriting it, changing it, yeah. making sure it works to my vision, so I want you to stick to it. But then on the other hand, I think about it and I think, well, actors like spend how many thousands of hours like learning improv and mm -hmm. cold read and, and cla taking classes and doing all these things that are supposed to give them the skills to, they can come up with something. Yeah. You know, they can come up with something right on the spot. In fact, some of the most iconic lines in film history are because of ad-libs. Yeah. And a lot of times, uh, people will specifically include that take in the film because they're like, well, this is way better than anything I wrote. Yeah. So I get both sides of it, but, you know, it is interesting like how people will will approach a project based on like what the script is, yeah, uh, or what it says, I should say. Yeah. So as an editor, I always say, give me as much variety as possible. Mm -hmm. And it's like once you kind of get a take that's good, where the lines are delivered as scripted, you don't need a million more takes just right. like that. I sort of feel like get one that works, and then let. I like it, and if I get to make more movies, I would say get one that I like, and then let the actor just do one of their own. Mm -hmm. Like, just, just, because they know the character better than you do, probably, because right. that's all they think about. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're directing or writing, you're kind of tracking what everybody's doing. But the actor, they're thinking about just that one character every day for six months or a year, you know, <laughs> right. so they're just swimming in it. And they, the actor knows their, his or her own strength as well. So I think it would be fun to, to make a movie where there's a bunch of takes where the actor just gets to do whatever they want. Because in the editing, you can you can really craft a character based on just little variations in mm -hmm. performance. Uh, little subtle changes in whether a character is aggressive or sad. And those little moments fluctuate throughout takes. Mm -hmm. And so you can... That's really what's exciting about editing is you can you can take material and depending on how you piece it together, you can tell a completely different story. Well, one of the, way, one of the reasons that I kind of shied away from, from acting, because when I first wanted to do this, 
I really just wanted to be an actor, but I didn't really know what that entailed. And when I, when I came out here to LA, um, you know, I remember, I remember a, a kind of a famous story that Billy Bob Thornton uh, said when he was first trying to come up. He met um, kind of a famous director during his time and had told him, "You, you have to learn." like a new skill, like a different skill set because it's like there's actors everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, acting is really, by definition, not as tough as people make it seem. Um, so you have to do your own thing. You have to write or, or edit or do something yeah. to kind of separate yourself. Do your own thing, basically. Um, and so what I learned about actors is that people who specifically just want to act and want nothing else to do with any part of the industry, they're just actors they will put just ridiculous amounts of time into learning those mm -hmm. nuances and learning that craft, and that's it. That's all they do. Yeah. And I knew I didn't have that type of dedication or patience for that, like, material. Like, I'm, I'm happy to do acting if somebody thinks there's a role out there that I would fit well in. I'd be happy to be typecast for something. Yeah. But as far as, like, when it comes to being, like, an actor specifically, they spend so much time developing character and learning different ins and outs and so that's why when they go into like auditions they can they can destroy yeah auditions and i just i was never one of those people who who was ever going to put that type of dedication into that part so that's why i started writing and i found that i had a lot more talent for creating something yeah rather than portraying yeah something i like being behind the camera just because mm -hmm. you have way more control oh yeah like, I feel bad for actors because they're completely helpless mm -hmm. in terms of what projects they're doing. It's mm -hmm. just like, oh, what came across my plate today? <laughs> right, exactly. Whereas a writer, it's like, ooh, what uh, what can I write? Like, exactly. how am I feeling? You know? You're only limited by your own creativity, basically. Yeah. You can come up with anything. Yeah. And to me, I've learned that writing is its own reward. Mm -hmm. Like, I've written a bunch of scripts that I don't care what happens to them. I don't care if anybody reads them. They're mine. They were fun to write. It, I cemented an idea onto paper. They'll exist forever. And it's it didn't cost anything. Mm -hmm. It was just fun. Like, it, uh, to me, it's uh, that's really rewarding if you can get in that zone where you just enjoy writing because mm -hmm. it's fun. Like, it's a great way to categorize your thoughts and um, deal with some of the things in your subconscious that are bothering you and interpret some of your dreams. Like... It all just kind of flows, it all, all kind of flows out. And I found that um, I've never had a bad session of writing. I've never written a scene and been like, oh, there's nothing good about this. <laughs> it's always better than I think it's going to be. But the, I'm always, I always have, I guess I just like psych myself out or I don't think it's going to be good. Um, so for me, a big part of it is just taking the pressure off. And I like to, I like to now set goals like, I'm just going to write 10 pages. Mm -hmm. I don't care how good they are. Yeah. I'm going to write 10 pages. Well, it and just comes with like writing and then the idea of rewriting everything because you can always go back and like reread it and think, you know what? I think I'm going to change this. Yeah. I'm going to do something different now. Yeah. You have so much clarity the second time around. That's what I like. Um, Richard Linklater compared it to laps, like running laps at a track where you, 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 you're doing several laps. So the first lap is just like get anything out you can. <laughs> right. Get any any kind of character, setting, tone, anything that you can get out that might stick. You know, you're just sort of throwing things against the wall. And I learned to kind of love the first draft because it's so liberating, knowing that there'll be another lap where you can come through and clean things up. But I always have, I always have total clarity like reading through even the like the next morning if i write a scene tonight and tomorrow morning i 
read it, I can just in one pass clean up a bunch of stuff and strengthen a bunch of things that are already in there. Because um, it's just, I think it's a different part of the brain. But once the draft is there and written, you can start to see what it is and start to like respond to it. Otherwise, it's just ideas floating mm-hmm. in the ether. So it's a, just having a draft is a really important step, I think. Well, I'm kind of curious what your writing process is, because for me, I do it a little differently than what is traditionally accepted. I will take a lot of time to write the first part of a scene down, and then I'll go back immediately and reread it several times before, and then and then decide, and then say, and I'll speak it out loud to myself. Like, I'll use a little bit of acting to try to speak it, and like, how would this sound? Does it sound the same in my head as if somebody will say it? out loud and if I don't like it I'll change it yeah and I'll, I'll do that like for however many you know hours or whatever I'm working on it and then I'll put it down and then I'll come back to it like the next day and I'll do the same thing and then I'll move on to the next scene after that I'll do the same thing with that scene yeah. so do you do the same kind of thing or do you I know a lot of people say the traditional way to do it is to just write everything out and then get it all done, like completed, and then go back and redo everything after that. Is that how that, you, yeah. do you do it I like to do, I like to do just full, okay. uh, full laps as fast as I can. Okay. So right now I'm halfway through a script and I don't know what any of the character names are. <laughs> okay. So it's like, yeah, I'm sure it's changing from Jimmy to John to Jack. Um, but it doesn't matter because that's all really easy stuff to clean up on the second draft. Mm-hmm. But I like not, ha- like... Normally, I keep a text document with notes of, like, scenes I want to do or stuff I need to fix. But I like, on the first draft, just, like, sprinting. Okay. Just getting through it as fast as I can. And I I, uh, I liken it to if you're watching a movie and you're kind of connecting with it and you're wishing certain things would happen. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they do. Sometimes the movie satisfies you. Uh, oftentimes the movie doesn't satisfy you yep. or kind of leaves you hanging, you know. Um, but I, to me, I sort of hear a rhythm of dialogue. I don't know who's saying it yet, but I just like to get kind of that pattern down uh, of a scene. Like, just who's in the scene? What are they talking about? What okay. do they want? And then I, there are some very basic tools, I think, which we all understand inherently from watching movies. But, like... The, the scene should start broad and get more and more spe- specific. Mm-hmm. Every scene should be about a character wants something and something stands in his or her way. Yeah. Um, so I like focusing just on the sort of the immediate, like what's happening in this scene. And I think if you can get good at writing scenes, mm-hmm. then getting good at writing short stories or feature films or pilots yeah. will get much e- easier. It's more about just focusing on the, the, the present moment. Well, it's kind of interesting. It's like that's all a feature film is, right? It's just a collection of scenes that are grouped together yeah. and then, you know, edited in a way that makes the story basically yeah. flow. Yeah. That's all it really is. Um, but it's interesting that you say that because I I, I like to, I don't know. I, and again, this, I'm sure it varies writer to writer. Just it's just the beauty of being able to write. I like to, if I have a, a good idea in my head, like I, I have a good scene or a good like idea for, for a, a particular type of scene, I know that if I don't write that down, or I don't get it out, I'm going to come back the next day and forget about it. Like, oh, I know really? right away, I'm going to totally forget about it. I'm like, I don't want to lose that feeling. Yeah. So I will try to get it down as quickly as I can so that it's there, that the yeah. record is there, the log is there. And then if I shy away from it, then at least I know... Um, 
it's it's there for me to recall. Yeah. And I won't forget. I won't have to like think about it. Yeah. But I'm so worried that I'm going to end up if I if I can come up with something just in the middle of you know in the in the middle of anything, I'm gonna forget that idea. I'm, I'm not. I'm gonna forget that feeling. And I'm not going to be able to recall it. Yeah. And so then when I'm going back to write, I'm going to think about, dang, I really wish I could recall what I had, what I was thinking about the other day, because yeah. I know that would have been perfect. Like it would have worked perfectly for this particular scene or dialogue. And uh, and now whatever I write or whatever I come up with, it probably won't be as good right. or it probably won't flow the way that I want it to. Yeah. So I try to get it down and I try to like manipulate it as as much as I can there so that by the time I actually want to put it uh, into the computer, it's like the fourth or fifth draft, so to speak. Yeah. And that way, when I'm rereading it on there, it's like, okay, it's, I'm kind of completed with the idea, but I know that once I keep typing it out, I'll, I'll make changes even then yeah. like to, to, to clean it up even more after yeah. that. So, and that seems to work for me. Sometimes it gets a little frustrating, but that seems to, to work for me pretty well because I can come up with things pretty quickly. And as long as I have them written down, I always keep like more, like two notebooks by my bed so that as, as, even if I'm in the middle of the night, I come up with something, boom, I can yeah. jot it down and then I'm good to go the next day. Yeah. I have that fear too of like getting an idea and losing it. But I have a, a theory that there's like sort of a survival of the fittest in mm -hmm. terms of story ideas because I every day any given day there's dozens if not hundreds of just <laughs> ideas various ideas like for a title or a story or a character and I feel like the good ones will kind of stick with you you know I have certain ideas that I've been just slowly they, they stick with you it's I, I, I love Inception for that reason oh, it's for like, sure you can't help what ideas get under your skin or mm -hmm. like stick with you and, and some some ideas are with you for five years or ten years and mm -hmm. then you know that's a you know that's a good idea if it's still like kind of bugging you you're like oh what about that nugget of an idea <laughs> i had back in college that i'm still thinking about so well, I, that's that's i mean that's just that also uh is a testament to just like things that are in the world like the whole world is full of just stories yeah you can just go anywhere and you can look at anything like any scene any any uh, you know visual concept, and you can think, well, what what could that be as a story? I could turn yeah. that into something. Yeah. So it's just good to get out and to like. This is why this pandemic is kind of to me or detrimental to so many writers. I think is because nobody can get out. Like, yeah. well, I mean, we can, but we're kind of somewhat segregated to um, like certain areas, and we can't. I don't know if we can be fully creative the way that. Yeah. You know. I think a lot of people would like to. There's also a lot though, the writing part of writing is channeling emotions mm -hmm. and there's a lot of emotions right now. There's mm -hmm. a lot of feelings and things to respond to. So just in terms of being a writer, um, that's the, the worst, the hardest time to write is when you don't feel anything, mm -hmm. right? When you're just like kind of, you feel comfortable and lazy. And, <laughs> but if you're like pissed or yeah. you're sad or you're lonely or you're happy, that's when it's great to write because it's like, when you're you have a lot of of emotions and ideas and thoughts going through your head i guess hardship is like the, the yeah. fuel yes. for yes. for writing and that's what they you know they say comedy is tragedy plus time mm -hmm. so um it's good to think about it in those terms it's like it's just a certain amount of time before it becomes funny and that's i think comedy is a great tool to get us through this to get us through oh, 2020 yeah. it's like comedy is the best medicine we have so I, well, I love trying to come up with jokes during this time and just 
trying to stay optimistic. Well, we got to try to find something to, I mean, that's what I remember. I don't remember who said it, but somebody said, just find something to laugh at basically because it's, I'll probably get a lot of crap for this, but I mean, I have a belief that the world does not care that we're here. doesn't know we're here. It's completely neutral. There's no reason to believe that it gives any two craps about us as we're living on it. It's just existing in yeah. this tiny speck of a galaxy that we live in. Yeah. And it it's going to do exactly what it does. It's just going to exist and it's going to evolve. And we're just here kind of, you know, playing, you know, on the playground, basically. Yeah. We're just we're just occupying space. And things are going to get bad and things are going to be depressing and things are going to be detrimental. And the one thing that people can, or that you should be able to always count on is being able to laugh and being able to find humor in something. Yep. Um, Because it's not always going to be a sunshine and rainbow kind of world or kind of environment. And there's going to be tragedy and there's going to be heartbreak and there's going to be a lot of drama and, and tension and this and that. That's just part of life. That's just living life. And so to find anything, find humor in anything, I think is going to keep people sane. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to keep people happy during these these bad times well, that we're experiencing. It's such a, to me, movies are about escape. Mm-hmm. And it's such a great time to want to escape. Mm-hmm. And it, to, to have uh, an hour and a half or two hours where you can forget about the world mm-hmm. and be scared or be moved or laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's a really important time right now for movies and music and Absolutely. art and comedy so it's a good time to be creating things yeah this is the time for creative people and it's funny because like i can't even i can't even watch movies in the same light anymore because i'm always dissecting certain parts of it like i'm like why are why is that scene uh written that way i would i've written that scene that way yeah i don't like how that camera move happened over the over the course and i i also like getting people's opinions on who who don't have any interest in the industry other than wanting to go see a film. Yeah. Like I would love to sit behind somebody in the theater who has who is just purely for entertainment. Right. Because um, when I was younger, that was like this was my escape. Like it's funny yeah. you mention that because that was my escape to just dive into movies or even video or any type of like video game or um, you know creative medium because that was where I was the most happy. That mm-hmm. was where I was able to escape to. Um, you know, just be me and just be free from all distractions. Yeah. All outside distractions. Nothing mattered. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing necessary. It's like to quote Fight Club. Nothing was solved necessarily. Yeah. But nothing mattered. Yeah. And you could just be you and be happy and be free in your environment. And it was, it's the, like, I think, in my opinion, movies are like the greatest escape that you could ever have. Because yeah. it's, it, it encompasses a lot of different things everybody everywhere can relate to them on some level yeah whether it's just one particular scene or it's one particular character or maybe it's just this is about a time that my grandparents grew up in and so i really i really um you know uh gravitate towards that Mm -hmm. and uh and so they they just they they give us one of the greatest uh or, or they give us some of the greatest creativity that i think we could ever hope to achieve yeah in this world. Yeah. So. And that's, I, I love film because it's all art forms mm-hmm. put together. It's music and visuals and performance and timing, you mm-hmm. know, it's all of these things. But 
Sort of what you were saying about the escape thing. I I always hated the feeling as a kid when the movie was over, mm-hmm. or when even when yeah. you, even when you got the sense that you were nearing the end of a movie and you were in the theater. Yep. It's just like, oh man, now I got to go back to nope. real life. And exactly like, right. Do homework. <laughs> exactly and go to bed right. Early, and it's just like. I, I, I always dreaded the movie ending because mm-hmm. you just wanted to live in that fantasy world but forever. It, 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 it kinda, it's kind of interesting because I was always one of those kids, and I hope there's more of these, but I was always one of those kids that uh, when I came out of the movie theater, that's exactly what I wanted to be, or that's exactly mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. I was always the kid with the Star Wars lightsaber so, uh, noises, and I yeah. always wanted to be the superhero. And uh, I just think it fuels and it drives like those creative types who are, are probably getting picked on in school. Like a lot of a lot of people who end up in the creative world are, uh, you know, in their childhood they were always picked on. They were mm-hmm. always being bullied. They were, all, you know, the, how many stories of those do you hear when you f- find someone who's really successful, but like when he first started, he was like the outcast. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I was just watching. I was uh, watching another Joe Rogan podcast earlier. Uh, with Tony Hawk, and that's exactly oh, what it was yeah. for him. Yep. I, skating has nothing to do necessarily with film, like comparably necessarily, but um, it's still a creative out form, and mm-hmm. that's what he was. He w- he would talked about how he was an outcast in his group of peers, but he found yeah. this one thing that he was able to lock onto and just really enjoy doing. Yeah. And look what he is now. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows who he is. Oh, yeah. And just for skating. Right. And so I just think it inspires a lot of uh, creative types yeah. to, to come out of it. So it does, it, it is a bad feeling when, when the movie is over, but at least I think that once it's done, that when that's when all those creative people will start coming out. Yeah. Coming out of their shell and they'll start being like, well, what can I do? Yeah. I got to start writing. I got to start filming. I got to start doing something. I just think we're going to see a wealth of talent come up. Yeah. Um, in the in the in the in next you know few years here, but that's also part of the beauty of a great movie is it leaves you wanting more, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't want to be given too much or too, right. uh, too satisfied, too much closure. You wanna, it's like a drug, you know. Yeah. You wanna, you wanna experience, you wanna have it be sort of a special experience that ends. Yeah. It's like, cause there, you don't want the certain franchises. It feels like have been ruined by too many sequels mm-hmm. or just uh, too many offshoots or reboots or whatever. Right. Um, some of the magic is a movie that just comes out and there it leaves you kind of wanting more and then it's just, that's the end of the story. My high school, my high school acting teacher uh, told me one time, he said, I want you to do this the next time you, you know, tell me a movie that you really like. And I don't remember what I told him, but I told him the name of one. And he said, all right, now when you go home, I want you to watch that movie twice. I want you to watch it back to back. And he said, watch it once without the sound and watch oh, it once yeah. with your eyes closed. And when you do that, like the perception of what you hear versus what you say just is are two completely different yeah. viewing mediums. Yep. And it's incredible the differences that you get from when you just hear something to when you just see something. Yeah. And I still do it to this day. I mean, I will still, like certain scenes, I will uh, mute the TV and watch it without the sound. Yeah. And just to see the different reaction, the different emotion I'll get right. without hearing it. And then I'll watch it again, but I'll close my eyes and I'll be like, well, now I'm just hearing it. So now what now now I have unlimited capacity to find out yeah. what it looks like up here. Mm-hmm. I just think that's um that's just such an incredible way to like uh, perceive art and any type of like creativity or, or, or art form 
that's out there because yeah. uh, it, it encompasses so many different things. There's mm -hmm. so many things that are going on in film and music and animation and TV in um, you know every uh, any creative art form. Yeah, there's so many things that can can happen. Yeah, and it's so easy to to draw them out. All you have to close your eyes. Right. Just shut the sound off. Now, now try to tell me what you think about this. Yeah. And I just think it's it's just a great way to to you know find those emotions. Yeah. Find the emotion that you can find with stuff like that. When they say you're supposed to be able to understand the movie with the sound off. Mm -hmm. So the visuals should tell the story even exactly. if you take the dialogue out. Yeah. One thing Kevin Smith said about watching, I think, uh, Jay and Silent Bob strike back with his daughter at the time who didn't was too young to speak, but she was still getting some of the visual jokes yeah. in the film. And Kevin Smith thought he that... Um, was his flagship of being a successful director, <laughs> right. that he was able to articulate visually an idea that a young kid could yeah. understand. But it's something that um, I think it's easy for filmmakers to forget about, that it's a visual medium and mm -hmm. it should it, you, your visuals should be able to, to kind of tell the story. They say show, don't tell in yeah. film. Um, and it's, that's one big change I made in terms of editing, is I think I focus more on sound now than okay. I do on visuals. The sound is like if you're editing a, a scene, a dialogue conversation, the sound will dictate the spacing between the words okay. and how long people are pausing. And that's really important, sort of the rhythm of the scene. Okay. So I, when I'm editing, I get that, I get that part sounding good. Because the visuals you can, you can always fix. There's mm -hmm. always cutaways and right. shot, reverse shot and whatever. It's like that's kind of its own puzzle to put together. But... I like to get it sounding good first because that's, okay. that's a that's an immediate cue to the audience. Is that they they're, they're li the sound is almost more important than the visuals when an audience member sits down to mm -hmm. watch a movie. It's like Blair Witch Project. Absolutely, like the camera can shake, but we have to be able to hear what people are saying, or we'll be drawn out of the movie. And it's something a lot of independent filmmakers don't understand. Well, I, I think, certainly didn't. I think that's why uh, a lot of people are so um, like. Uh, adamant about like if you have to have good sound on mm -hmm. your set if you're going to film anything or you're going to make any type of of uh, short film or, or feature film whatever it is always 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 make sure that your sound is very crisp and clear because yeah. you can get uh, such a different reaction from somebody if they can if, if the sound is is muffled versus the sound is being very clear yeah and it can elicit an entirely different reaction yep uh, from an audience member that may not be what you want it wanted yeah um, or it may not it may not strike the way that you want it to and uh, and that's interesting because I've always been the guy who's like I've been able to visualize everything like I've always had a, a strong visual, ability to just read what's on a page or mm -hmm. have somebody tell me an idea and I can almost instantly like figure out what that would look like. Yeah. I can find anything. Uh, like I, I would be able to go out into any location and be like, okay, I know, I, what did you tell me this? Okay, this is what this was like. I'll go find it. Like right. I know what it looks like. I know exactly what it looks like up here. So that's the reason I like reading scripts is because it allows me to visualize. Mm -hmm. Like it allows me to create everything up here and I just, I've always been good with visualization. But sound for me, um, it, I, I think I always took it for granted for the yeah. most part. Yes. When I first started out, I just, I always took it for granted and I was like, and now I think I now I watch films that have really clear sound, and it just I'm like, wow, yeah, it just it's just so incredible. This what what sound will do as that's, a medium. That's part of what makes a movie so cinematic is the sound, and because um, 
so much of what you hear and experience in a movie is added by Foley artists and things. There's the footsteps are kind of enhanced and mm -hmm. louder than they would be. The rustling of clothes, like anytime you hear a gun being cocked or a lighter, like in the movies, those things are all way exaggerated. And all of the, yep. the, the room noise is synthesized and recreated and everything is manipulated and very fine-tuned. Right. That's, that's a big part of movie magic. Mm -hmm. I, I remember as a kid watching like if they'd be um, filming a premiere of a movie and then they'd go into a scene mm -hmm. from the movie and just the difference between like the red carpet footage and Absolutely. then the scene from the movie. I mean, A, it's probably like letterboxd. <laughs> it's on film versus on video. Right. But the sound is, is one thing that's that's so specific to film is that it's it's really been worked on to give you the experience that you're in the world. Well, and it's a and it's a pretty uh, like hefty like in like part of the industry as well. Like yeah. Foley artists are no joke. Yeah, I, I remember watching. Um, I think it was uh, I think it was on Men in Black. I believe the or maybe it was Men in Black too. I forget, but they. Because of those large budget films, they generally have to go in and um, reloop everything yeah. because they just they can't. They're in big cities and they just can't cut out yeah. that much noise, so they have to go back in and do it over. And I remember they showed several of the like foley artists in their environment and what they would do, and it's amazing. Like you don't even know um, like the type of things that they're doing to create those sounds, mm -hmm. but really they have nothing to do with like what the what the sound actually is supposed to be yes it's like never you, you've what got, you think it would be you've got you've got like uh rubber that they'll spray down with you know like a a, a, a synthetic coating and then they'll rub their hands over it and that'll be what gives you your screeching sound or whatever and it's just amazing to yeah. see what they utilize to come up with the sound that you hear yep just in the completed project, you're like, oh, that does sound like a like a like a cannon. Yeah. But what did they actually do to get that sound? Right. So it's it's yeah. it's fun. I had to do sound design for an animated race, which had um, crabs that were clicking their claws <laughs> together. Okay. Um, uh oh. Well, we'll lose that camera. That's okay. Okay. Um, oh, it's a battery issue. Oh. Ah, fuck it. Let's just keep recording. Um, but for this crab sound, I used, uh, I found a mousetrap sound. Oh, that's awesome. And then I think I slowed that down, and then on top of it was a slap. The sound okay. of a woman slapping a man. And so those two <laughs> things put together became the of the claw oh, uh, awesome. of the crab. So yeah, it's, it's always kind of two sounds put together that aren't the sound you're trying to recreate, but when put together, create a sort of larger-than-life cinematic sound. Well, I feel, what I find is, what I've mostly read is, what I find interesting is that a lot of times when they're trying to create certain animal sounds, it's usually a collection mm -hmm. of sounds all put together. Yeah. It's not just the one uh, specific animal in um, in the wild. Like, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll combine, like, four or five different styles of them, and then they'll mix that together, and that is what creates the sound for... Uh, the animal on screen, yeah. which I was always blown away by because I thought, you know, you could, don't you just go out, you get like three different, you know, growls or, or screams or, or whatever of, of the same type of animal. Yeah. And then you just put those together, you, you, you jack the audio up or whatever, and then that gives you your sound. But no, usually it's like a collection, like a whole collection of different things and things that are um, like not 
necessarily even related to the animal. It just gives it a, a more of a, a like a deafening tone or a deeper tone. Yeah. And it just helps to kind of bring the 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 sound out yeah. that you hear on on screen. But yeah, it's amazing how much that sound design brings w whatever it is to life. Like. For that crab thing, I get certain animations where there's no sound whatsoever. And there'll be characters sort of racing through a city or through a farm, and I have to add the the nature sounds, mm -hmm. traffic noises, footsteps, grunts. So a lot of times I'll record my own grunts into the microphone. Okay. Uh, and sort of build that world. Um, but when you get it and you watch it without the sound, it's sort of like you said, watching something on mute. Yeah. It's it's it feels kind of lifeless. It's just a bunch of colors. But then you start adding those layers in, those sounds, mm -hmm. and then it really feels like an actual world that's that's lived in. When you when you do that kind of stuff, if if the main sound that you want to hear is the 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 claws clicking, do mm -hmm. you do you um, like ramp that up to like ten as opposed to everything else around it? Yeah. That's... How do you kind of layer those? Uh, I like to come up with a good uh, baseline of like kind of what the world is without any of the special sounds. Okay. So, and, and that, I guess that should typically be negative 12 dBs if you're mixing. <laughs> it's, but, but it's amazing how much uh, boosting something 3 dBs or 6 dBs will, will be. Because at a certain point, that claw snap will become obnoxious mm -hmm. and it'll pull you out of the... You know, if it's too loud, it'll be, oh, what is that? So the the most effective thing to do is have those sounds be subtle, where they it does, they don't stand out, but you still you still hear them. And a lot of it is a lot of it is psychological or subconscious. Where okay. You're watching this animated race, and your brain is kind of putting all the pieces together. Okay. How the sound effects fit with, and then your voice will map this grunt to that character on screen so okay so much of so much of what happens when you're watching anything you don't have control over right even just you experiencing the world your brain is assembling the the various pieces right um the the visual component the the oral component your memories you know uh so there's always some kind of reformatting in your brain going right. on um but that's what's fun about doing music for film is your brain instantly makes connections if you add a chord under the, a scene of somebody hugging or kissing right instantly your brain will you know connect those two things and give the music a bunch of meaning that's what's fun is the is about doing film score is yeah. is whatever whatever the movie is sort of will breathe life into your music because I, I hate creating music that just goes out on its own. Right. That has to stand on its own two right. legs, like doing an album. I hate that. Yeah. But doing a musical number or a music video where there's a, a visual component and performance to it and actors, to me, that's really exciting. Because yeah. you're because you're also a musician, right? If I remember yes. correctly. Yeah, yes. I remember. Because I you know you've done all the music for all three of your features. Yes. On your own, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all just here, I uh, I use a MIDI a MIDI bundle, it's all through GarageBand, okay. so I can like pull up symphony sounds and build layer by layer okay. a symphony. But it's that same kind of um, creative sprinting that you get in screenwriting, okay. where um, a lot of times I'll be trying to recreate a specific famous track, probably Hans Zimmer, and okay. then I, I try my best to, to recreate it and I end up with something totally different. Okay. It's been kind of filtered through my sensibilities and my personality. Okay. But it's fun because I don't know scales very well. Okay. I don't understand music. Like 
I can read music, if, sheet music, if there's enough time. Right. But I like just the immediate instinct of how does this feel. Right. And, and then I hit a chord and then I hit another chord. Right. Like, what is that? What changed? Right. How, how do I feel now? So right. It's so much just trial and error, like literally banging on the computer. Right. Sometimes I'm recording drums. So it's just like... Right. And, and then you just start layering it. So you have a you have a, a string layer that you've done that you've just kind of fiddled with and then you add drums on top of that and now you're playing with the performance you just recorded. Yeah. And suddenly there's a whole orchestra of you banging on the keyboard. Right. And then similar to what we talked about with editing, that's the first lap. It's just getting all the stuff recorded. Okay. And by the time you're done with that first lap, you kind of know what you're going for or your, your brain will start making those connections. Yeah. And then it's it's all MIDI, so it's all digital notes that you can click on and change what the note is, what the instrument is. Yeah. You can fix your timing with a click of a button. So if you're doing like a drum kit with your index fingers and your timing is a little bit off, you can say quantize those to eighth notes. Okay. And it perfectly fixes everything. It sounds like a techno beat. Okay. So I, I love the, it's like half kind of, um, uh, sprinting in the creative sense, like just just getting as much information laid down as I can. Yeah. And then it's sort of an analytical, more engineering editing side where I just listen to it and then start cleaning up notes and fixing timing. Okay. And then uh, I have a song, you know, and then I have a, a song that sounds like it's been performed okay. by an orchestra. And do you and do you play everything? Do you play guitar, bass, and everything? Else, I or? well, so I play piano. Guitar, bass, a little bit of drums. Okay. But I like MIDI because if you record a real instrument, you can't manipulate it. You're locked into that key signature. You're locked into that timing. So I prefer to stay MIDI as much as possible. Okay. Because even once you have all of that uh, orchestra information recorded, you, there's a slider where you can say, I want this to take place now at 120 beats per minute instead of 110. Mm -hmm. You can't do that with guitar and piano and okay. like stuff that's really been recorded. Okay. So that's that's why I love MIDI is is it's all very flexible. Okay. I mean it I, sounds kind of cheesy. It's they're not it's obviously not a real orchestra. Right. But you can you can build it up with enough sounds and then manipulate them where it, it can kind of sound like a real orchestra. Okay. So I never got super deep into like music or or, or musically being musically inclined. I used to play the piano when I was younger. I did take some guitar lessons when I was younger. I feel like I could probably, uh, you know, become somewhat adequate at it if I had the patience, but so much of my time is now spent on just writing and creating. Yeah. I do have two friends of mine who are out here who are, who are musicians. And I know one of them is like a, a really, really, um, uh, what's the term? Uh, He's a, he's a very good guitar player. He's been playing for a long, long time. And he started branching out into a lot of different types of styles. He mostly did, like, metal, I think, is where he started. Mm -hmm. And now he's branched out. Uh, I think he joined, uh, like, a musical site where he can just submit all kinds of different tracks to different people yeah. uh, from everywhere. They're looking for um, different sounds, you know, medieval sounds, you know, mi Middle Eastern sounds, mm -hmm. uh, rock sounds, pop songs. All kinds of stuff. And so I think it's really helped his, uh, like, musical knowledge, rather than just being um, strictly with, with one genre. 
he's now he can now perform all kinds and he can submit to all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. So do you stick to one usually or, or like one style or do you like to kind of branch no, out to... I, I like experimenting. Okay. And then I like being given a track. Like I like someone that's edited a scene to a specific music track and okay. like copy this. Because we like all the ways it matches up with our movie. Okay. A lot of times you'll get the movie will be, the edit will be locked. So it's like, these are the shots we're using. This okay. is the timing. Like, you can't change or fix any of it. Okay. So the, that's often the situation the composer is in. Do you find, as an editor, that that kind of hinders certain things that you can or can't do? If they've, if they've picture-locked something, or if they're like, this is what the, the scene is going to be, but we need music now to, to be put to this, do you find it difficult as an editor to like kind of fit all those elements together? Or have you always been able to kind of... I like limitations. Okay. So it's like if I'm sitting down to do music and I know specifically I'm either trying to like replicate a track or I only have a certain amount of time or I have to use a certain instrument, that helps me because that's less, less possibilities for me to consider. Okay. And if I know kind of what the... Uh, what the the boundaries are, I can immediately just start working mm-hmm. within those parameters. And half of doing music is figuring out the timing. Mm-hmm. So how many beats per minute? And right. if, if if you're given a temp track for a specific scene, mm-hmm. you can just tap tap into your computer that those beats per minute, and you're halfway there to mm-hmm. replicating the song. And then it's like I'll, I'll start. Usually I'll have the original track in on one layer and then I'll have my, I usually start with a piano because it's easy to fix and you, it, you can play a lot of different octaves. Um, but so I, usually by the time I've recorded my second layer, I'll turn off the original and won't ever listen to it again because okay. it doesn't really matter. You know, it's ultimately you're creating something new. Yeah. Um, but I, whatever I do, I like limitations in writing too. Okay. Like if some, if, if, if I, I love like 24 hour film fest or 48 yeah. hour film fest where they're like, you have to have a character named Susan or you have to have <laughs> right. a line of dialogue where somebody says, pass me the chi or yep. whatever it is. Absolutely. I love having those little things that you have to work in. Okay. Whether, yeah. Whether it's music or screenwriting or editing. Um, the scariest thing is just the blank page. Like if yeah. I'm just sit down, sometimes <laughs> I don't have a specific project to work on. Right. It's like, okay open up the laptop and the screenwriting software, it's like, okay, let's write a movie. That to me is impossible. Right. It's like, I don't, <laughs> right, where exactly. do I even begin? Yeah. I would much rather somebody say, okay, you're going to write a horror movie. Yeah. It's going to be 86 pages. <laughs> it's going to be about this kind of monster. Yeah. Then I'm just like, okay, let's go. Um, we were just talking about this earlier. Like being under pressure is like one of the greatest things for any creative type. I think. Yes. It's because it just it forces your brain to fo- to solely focus on the one idea, and you have to like okay, I, I know I need to include this, this, and this, and how do I do that? Yeah. So then it's just up to you to kind of incorporate those three or four elements into the idea. And I think if you put that kind of pressure on yourself, it just, it focuses your brain so well that you're like, I, I like, I, I'm going to get this done. Yeah. Like I'm going to figure this out rather than just having like, like you were saying, like a completely blank sheet of paper yeah. and trying to just like, okay, now I got to put like, everything is from scratch now at this yeah. point. One of the things that they've always said is like, as a writer, one of the things you have to do is borrow material. Like, borrow material from any source that you can. Yeah. Like, and, and, like, generic sources. Like, maybe there's another writer that you like, and you like, uh, you know, this 
idea that he came up with, so you're going to expand on that. Or, you know, you like a, a certain film or a certain song or whatever, borrow that material and use it, you know, and, and, and make it your own, basically. Yeah. But you at least have some base to go off of. Yeah. And you can then expand on it, and you can make it yours, and you can put your own element in it. And because uh, almost, I mean, almost every material that's creative is borrowed from something, yeah. from somewhere. Yeah. There's not really, and I'm sure somebody's going to try to prove it wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's not anything that's out there uh, that isn't borrowed to some degree. Right. Maybe not completely, but to some degree, it's all borrowed from some material. So to say, yeah. um, uh, like, here are your, here are your limitations to, to this idea, I think is like so much better than people just saying, okay, I've got $60 million. Yeah. What do you want to do? Yeah. Like, honestly, I don't know, man. I don't know what I would do with that. That's why I love the, when you're thinking about a movie, it's this movie meets this movie. Right. Absolutely. Because you can just copy any movie out of either scene mm -hmm. and just start riffing. I mean, that's my whole career has been, it started doing parody. So mm -hmm. I did this series of movies called Pong Wars yep. where we would just take Star Wars scenes and replace lightsabers with ping pong paddles. <laughs> and so it would just be take, you'd take a scene we love from Star Wars, write it as close as we can to Star Wars right. so it's an obvious parody, but what just change little things so that suddenly it's funny because it's about ping pong. But that's almost every scene I've ever written has been, I start off riffing on some scene I mm -hmm. already know, some scene I already like or some character I know and just trying to write my character so that he's cool like Indiana Jones or yeah. slick like Ferris Bueller. So uh, everything I think is is you as the artist filtering whatever mm -hmm. you, uh, your inspirations are. And everybody has a completely different set of inspirations. Yeah, That's what's cool is you bring your own experience and what you love in movies and in culture. That's something you bring unique to the table. Well, I... What's interesting, what I think is interesting is that when I sit down to write something, I still do, I've discovered this about myself, is that the easiest way for me to get going is to put something else on while I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. And I have very specific movies, I have a huge movie collection at home, as you might have guessed, but I have very specific movies that I like to go back to and put on and just run in the background yeah. because of either the way they were written, the, 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 the stuff... Uh, the uh, scenes that are involved, or the it's a director that I like usually, yep. and I, I I like the cohesive story that's in there, and it it's the only almost the only way that I can um, like begin an idea if mm -hmm. I don't have one already on my own. Yeah. If I'm just like I need to I need to write something because I'm I'm kind of bored. And I need something to I got to get something out here. Um, I will put something like I have a specific set of ones that I will put on let it run, and yeah. then that is what fuels yeah. all of my ability to create a scene or to, because I'm just referencing those things right. for the most part. And it's nice to have something you already know. If uh -huh. you watch a movie you've seen a million times, yeah, you can have your favorite moments where you kind of watch and you just you stop writing, and yeah. I'm going to enjoy this car chase or whatever Absolutely. But then there are the boring parts of the parts you know where you can just be writing. Absolutely. Um, I do the same thing. I, I can't write with nothing going on. Yeah, I absolutely. have to have yep. a movie going or music or something like half yeah that's half the battle is just distracting myself yeah like my there's that <laughs> yeah. inner voice that says you suck you yep. know you're a terrible artist <laughs> yeah, you can't exactly. write like, all 51 of the scripts you've written are terrible <laughs> you're okay. a loser uh, um so you have to like just trick that part of your brain absolutely. and get into it but i like to think of it like exercise it's like running or mm -hmm. going to the gym it's just like every every 
word you write is good. It's <laughs> it's all beneficial to yeah. you because it, it it'll it'll teach you as long as you're willing to learn from your mistakes. Mm -hmm. Every script you write will will teach because they're all different. It's like, and and it's the the. It always feels like you're writing your very first screenplay. No yeah. matter how many you've written, there's yeah. always that the initial um, inertia of, you know, just like, oh, I don't want to write a script. Like, <laughs> yeah. I want to binge Netflix or something. <laughs> but I don't, oh, I, feel, I feel guilty just watching movies now, mm -hmm. knowing that I could be writing. Absolutely. And then I, uh, my thing is, I like setting goals of how many pages I can write mm -hmm. in an hour or in a day. And then once you do that, like, I've done. I can pretty easily do 60 pages in a day. Okay, that's impressive. Just pages, you know, it's just, they'll be done. They'll, right. they'll be horrible, maybe, and the <laughs> character names will fluctuate. Yeah. There'll be a bunch of scenes that transpire, you know, beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. Um, but now that I know I can do that, I know I can do 60 pages in a day if I have nothing else going on. So okay. if I sit down to write, I, I hold myself to that standard now. So it's cool. It's the same thing happens when you're marathon training because mm -hmm. when you start marathon training, you can't do anything. Mm -hmm. And then six weeks in, suddenly you're running like an eight mile <laughs> run. Yeah. And what seemed impossible six weeks ago is now just your standard. This is now your baseline. Well, they tell you to take a break every so often when you're writing, like just because you burn yourself out or you're, yeah. you know, you're, and I've, I've heard, and as long as we're, we're always referencing Kevin Smith, but I suppose that's like the basis of our yeah, friendship his, here for yeah, the most it's part. It's his fault that we're yeah, here. Yeah, I know exactly. Right? I, blame my, Kevin Smith. I blame my whole career I on do. Kevin Smith. Um, he, uh, I remember he gave an interview one time where he said, uh, I, I don't I don't like writing. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want yeah. to write. Yeah. I, I just, I, you know, I want to get the job, but I don't want to actually do the work yeah. that re is required by the job. Because honestly, writing is... I don't know, man. It's a it's a love hate relationship. I remember there's a quote from somebody that I remember uh, that really stuck with me a while ago. And I don't think it, it was anybody in the film world, mm -hmm. um, but he said you have to love this or something so much that you hate it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, yeah. there's just no loving this this art form. Yeah, because it will it will you will trash your apartment and you will break things and you will get so frustrated that if you don't hate this you're never gonna find yeah love in it at all mm -hmm. and so i think that is very true of writing because i i never really took any formal classes with writing i just remember talking to somebody and saying if i write this is it a is there a possibility that you will uh like put it on i think it was like a play or something like that and i remember that person telling me yes mm -hmm. if it's good enough We'll, we'll consider it. I just think hearing that yes or hearing that positive affirmation yeah. was enough to fuel me to be like, well, I'm going to go do this then, man. I'm mm -hmm. going to go figure out. I'm going to like read what I can on it. I'm going to look to people who I, like have, have been considered really good writers, see what they've done, read their advice, and I'm just going to go do it. And yeah. I'm just going to, you know, and, I'm, and I think that's just like anything – it's just about um, you know trial and error or success and failure. Yeah. You know you 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 try you fail you get up you try it again you get better you fail again you try yep. you just you you're all it's just a constant evolution. But all of that stuff can fuel your scripts. Exactly. That's all fuel. You know. Yeah. Those are all emotions that you can put into your characters. Yeah. And that's why I like take take the worst ideas you have about the world and about humanity, mm -hmm. give them to your villain. Yeah. You know, take the best i the best ideas you have, give them to your hero. So it's that's that's what's cool is you is most screenplays you have a good guy and a bad guy. Right. And they're at odds, and you're you're supplying all of it. 
Yeah. So that's what's fun is you get to take the best parts of your personality and the worst parts of your personality and some stuff that maybe yeah. is hidden that you don't talk about and pepper it into characters and stories and try and hope that no one can, you know, pinpoint what's right. what. That's what's, it's like a, I don't know if you ever played the card game BS. I did, like, oh yeah. yeah. You like put down the pile and you're like, oh, this is four aces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, to me, that's what screenwriting is, is uh, you're just putting all this stuff out and you're like, oh, this is just this story that I made up. Yeah. But in reality, it's all of the, you know, it's this thing, this thing that happened to you on the playground in third grade. Absolutely. And like what you had for breakfast. Yeah. And um, just, it's all kind of, filtered in there and, and reworked into a, yeah. a story that people can enjoy. Well, that goes back to even children's games, like if you've ever played Telephone. Yeah. Like the original idea starts here, yeah. by the time it gets to the last person, it's like a completely different yes. idea. Yeah. And nobody knows how it how it got that way, but it just, for people, you know, choosing to, you know, change things or put one thing, and I think people would do that on purpose. Yeah, I think they would absolutely yeah. Oh, yeah. do it on purpose. Not me, but other people. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was an honest exactly. player at the exactly. Telephone. I, I I always wanted to hear like what would it, what was it going to become? Yeah, like what is going to be the end result? Which I think is where I've always wanted to kind of be in the middle of certain things. Like I've never really wanted to be at the very very top, and I've really never wanted to really be at the very very bottom. Like I wanted to kind of be in the middle because it's kind of a you you know there's not as much pressure on you mm -hmm. to like kind of satisfy everything but then your people are also taking you seriously right they're not like thinking like well this is just some amateur he doesn't know what he's doing yeah so in something like that you just you're given the information you're like well I'm gonna pass it along the way I heard it mm -hmm. and then whatever happens to it after that that's on that's yeah. them yeah and uh, and so I've always kind of liked to. I, because I think we're all like I think it's very true when they say we're always improving or we're always yeah. striving for something. Mm -hmm. There's never gonna be like perfection does not exist. You're always gonna be working towards something. Yeah. So to me, being the best never really became like a reality because number one, I never was in anything, and number two, it's like well, we're all like, can you really be the best in something? Yeah. Like we're always working, we're always striving. Like even the top top people in their field are always working on something. Mm -hmm. There comes a point where you hit a limitation, I'm sure. And you're like, this is the peak of my skills. I can't get any better than this. Yeah. Um, and so then it's just more about refining those and getting better. But, or I'm sorry, but, um, or making those uh, as best as you can. Yeah. But really, like, you're always going to be working on something. Some aspect of your writing, your acting, your, you know, what, or your fishing, your yep. sports, anything in life there's always going to be something to do better to, yeah. to one up yourself with. I think challenging yourself to, to think like that um, is what's going to help you get mm -hmm. just constantly, constantly, because the people that will figure like will watch yourself or pay attention to it or will like be amazed at your skill. They don't know like where your head is at. Like mm -hmm. all they see is like your, your result. Yeah. They're like, man, this guy is at the top of his game, even though in your head you're like, well, actually that's nice of you to say, but I could probably do something a little better. Mm -hmm. I can, there's probably something in my mind where I'm like, yes, to you it looks like I'm incredible, mm -hmm. but in my mind I'm like, I'm thinking about what could I improve on. Yeah. And I just think that there's just no way to, to get past that in any art form. I just think there's so much out there and there's always going to be something you can work on, improving mm -hmm. or, or um, doing something better or improving your own skills. Uh, or just learning. Like, we're always learning. There's yeah. so much we don't know. 
we're always going to be learning as, as adults, whether it's, you know, it doesn't even have to be related to film. It can be related to anything in life. We're always learning, always grasping for information. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's going to be till the end of time. We're never going to know everything that we want to. Yeah. So that's, what's cool about screenwriting is there are a million different approaches and tips and tricks and mm-hmm. ways that people do it. So you can just, you could spend your whole life watching different screenwriting seminars and lectures and things mm-hmm. and reading books on how to structure story. Um, there's so much information out there to, to take in, but none of it is guaranteed. Mm-hmm. You know, none of it will, is, is guaranteed to make your script good. Right. So part of it is just taking in what information you can about how other writers have done it. Yeah. And then taking, and then part of it is actually just doing the work. Yeah. But it's sort of like you said, I, I, uh, it made me feel better to listen to interviews of a lot of writers I admire and mm-hmm. hear them going through a lot of the same struggles. Absolutely. You know, the, some of the most prominent writers of all time yeah. have hated their work or been depressed about what they're doing. So it's like, it's interesting to think that your favorite movie and my favorite movie, the directors of those movies probably see nothing but mistakes right you know, it's, it's right. weird to have a movie that comes out and everybody loves it but the people that work on it ex- had a, a different experience with it yeah and it can be the opposite too like where you have a great time filming the movie and then it comes out and people don't really right. respond to it i don't know if i've ever asked you this but do i know what your favorite movie is i don't well i uh it changes from time to time <laughs> i mean for a long time it was the matrix okay i think it probably still is the matrix okay but um at different points in my life i had different Different favorites. Ferris okay. Bueller. It was Ferris Bueller for a while. Oh yeah. Jurassic Park for a while. Okay. Um, but I don't know. I I, I kind of fluctuate and go back and forth. Okay. But I remember um, John McTiernan said that I don't remember about which movie. I think it was Die Hard. That he can't watch his own any of his own movies. Oh for, yeah. For ten years. Really. Because all he sees is mistakes. Really. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's interesting to think of like a movie like Die Hard coming out and right. everybody absolutely loves it and the director hates it. <laughs> is like ashamed of it you know it's like or i could have done better yeah it's like you just made the best action movie of all time and he was like ashamed of it well it's it's that's a that's a funny thing because you've shot all my short films that i've done and Mm -hmm. i'm happy to do that forever because um we have good chemistry i think we have good chemistry we work together and also like when you can find a a duo that works that well together like we just know how the other works mm-hmm. and you can just everything just becomes cohesive but even with all of that going on sometimes I'll watch some of those and I'll think you know what if we had more time I would have liked to have done this yeah I would have liked to have changed this like you're always it just goes back to what I was just saying like you're always striving to make yourself better or you're like yeah. dang it I wish we wouldn't have um f- like f- like f- uh, completed it that way. I wish we would yeah. have done something a little different. And that's just where like time constraints come yeah. in. Or we just, you just want to get the, the film out and um, like you want people to see it. And I've yeah. never ventured into feature films yet. Hopefully that'll come next. But I'm, I, I really do enjoy doing um, like short films just because mm-hmm. you can do them so easily. Yeah. And you don't need a big crew. You can, I mean, literally it's been me and you for all of mine. Yeah. And now they might be simple ideas, but it's like, it's so, and that's, that's one of the things that I think is so great um, for like independent, like creative types is just that I just think that this might be, mark, you know, mark the date, this might be one of those things where we don't necessarily have to have a massive crew anymore. Mm-hmm. We might be able to just do it with two or three or even four guys or even just two guys for that matter yeah. and shoot these films um, 
you know, all the way through to completion. We don't need, because everybody has like, a, you can roll one person into like 12 different things. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure for someone, but I'm like, if you know how to do all of it, you can save a lot of right. labor. Like I've never seen any, there is no labor anywhere than on a film set. Mm -hmm. Like there is so many people standing around and I've, I've, I haven't been on a lot, but I've been on several professional productions where I'm looking at half the people on the set. I'm like, we don't need to be here. Mm -hmm. There are so many people that don't need to be here. And I feel bad saying that, but I just think like we only need a, a small grouping of people to make this thing actually happen. Yeah. And I just think that as far as like pumping out, uh, you know, good films or good content or whatever you want to put it as, it can be done with a small grouping of people. And I think also when you find that grouping of people, like, you know, you're going to get things done that are going to work well. Mm -hmm. That's one of the beauties about, or one of the beautiful things about having a group that you work with consistently or that you work with um, the, the same people over and over again is that you just, you know how each other works. Mm -hmm. You know what you're thinking. You know, you know there's not going to be a whole lot of conflict or tension um, because you know each other. And so, uh, you can get things done very easily. And it might also even improve like the timing of things. You mm -hmm. might even be able to get in under the time in which you originally thought. I just think it could be a big benefit to to like independent films in the future here. Yeah. Well, and the cool thing with you can, I think you learn a lot more doing short films mm -hmm. versus a feature. Absolutely. It's always different. Like you're, you can explore a lot more than with what kinds of movies you're making, genre yeah. style. It's hard doing a feature because you're locked into one thing for yeah. a year, yeah, maybe two years. And so that becomes frustrating because you're growing, hopefully, as yeah. a person and you're changing your mind on certain things. Yeah. And the person you are today is hopefully different than the person you were two years ago. <laughs> right. I, I hope I'm growing and evolving. Yeah. Um, so making a feature is hard because it's like you put in all this work, all this effort, and then the thing comes out and yeah. it's like, who, who, where did this idea come from? Like, <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't even recognize this right. anymore because I've shifted. Yeah, That's something Kevin Smith said too about why he likes doing podcasting. Because yeah. he just likes ideas. Yeah, and With podcasting, you can get it out that day. You yeah. know? In a movie, you have to go through all this other stuff. But I like the idea of shorts because it's, like, it's self-contained. Yep. You get to practice all of the different yeah. techniques. Um, you're filming, you're editing, you're lighting, you're doing sound. Yeah. Um, but it's a different different actors you know every time you have to kind of start over so yeah. i think that's way better in terms of d developing your skills yeah. well out of the three features that you've done i unfortunately i've only been involved in one of them but i remember being on the set of uh a potpourri yep i think if i remember correctly that's what it was called uh which was your second one yeah right here behind you oh yeah there we go there was a, talking about the poster yeah that's a good looking poster yeah good animation i think you did the did uh, you Jay, do the drawing for that Jaybird did that one oh okay buddy Jaybird. awesome good uh, but i remember being on the set of that i remember just um sitting there it, it wasn't a huge scene that we were doing but there were so many elements to it i just remember thinking like this is crazy like yeah. the amount of time that it takes to get all the coverage of everyone and yeah. just all the extras together and like if the sound is off like what is the i think we're losing the battery yeah, on that one too two two, two down two, two to go two to go yeah um but i just remember thinking like oh boy like this has got to be a nightmare at some point it's because you're just because you're just dealing with so many elements and there's things that you're thinking about like on the set that you're like i know 
that I'm gonna have to deal with this later on when we're done filming. Yeah. But or like, are you in the you're in the mindset of like, well, I got to keep everybody contained on set right now. The, so I, that, I got, those were back to back eighteen hour days. Oh boy. We, and we had like zombie heads yep. and makeup and all kinds all of extras stuff. and a Christmas party. That's why I like. And it was in the middle of winter. Yeah. And like, oh boy. Again, that that's why I love writing and I like editing because mm -hmm. they're they're controlled. You you, you, yeah. you get up and you sit at a computer like. Editing never starts before 10 a.m. Yeah. That's the earliest I've ever been asked to edit anything. <laughs> so, and screenwriting can happen whenever. Of course. Whenever. Um, and actually, uh, that was one really useful bit of advice I heard about screenwriting is when you go to bed at night, think about the scene you're going to, one scene you're going to write the next morning. Okay. Because that, if you already have some kind of approach or plan of attack, and it doesn't take much like, yeah. for me to get excited about a scene. It's like... Maybe it's a joke, maybe it's a line of dialogue, and it's like, oh, suddenly I can write the whole scene if I just have one little nugget that I'm excited about. Yeah. But a lot of times I'll sit down to write and just not have any... There's that initial thing of like having to come up with something. So it's if you can every night before you go to bed, and it's a super easy thing to do, just, mm -hmm. oh, what's my scene going to be tomorrow? Or what what's my nugget going to be that I can start writing? Then you can get up and you've thought about it and the sort of the grunt work is yeah. done and you can just start writing that idea. Absolutely. So that's a really helpful thing because the, the, there's that immediate, when you when you stop binging Netflix or whatever and sit down <laughs> right. to write, there's a ton of inertia. It's yeah. hard to it's hard to get that first word out. So, well, that's that's why I keep notebooks by my, by my bed because I know that you, an idea could come to you at any time during yeah. the day. Any time. And yeah. you don't, and I, me personally, maybe it's different for other people, but me personally... I don't want to ever miss those. Yeah. Because I know that um, if I miss it, I'm not going to feel the same way the next day. Yeah. So I want to at least get it down. And that way, if I read it the next day and I think, you know what? I Was I, am I feeling this? No, I'm going to change that now. Yeah. But you, with that way, you always have the option. Yeah. If you miss the idea, well then, and that's happened to me a few times where I've just, I've had an idea and I've, I've, I just haven't been near anywhere to jot it down, which I guess is why smartphones are, I guess, actually a wonderful invention because you don't necessarily have to have pencil and paper near you yeah you can jot it down in, in your in your phone um but you know at least you have the option to look back and go okay that was a good idea i'm gonna run with it now mm -hmm. but if you don't get it down you have no option right to run with it so um and, and i think and i've actually been like told that that's kind of a common thing with writers, like people who want to like be writers. Yeah. They will keep all kinds of stuff like just near them so that if they come to an idea where they're like, shit, where's my, where's my notepad? I got to write this down right now. Yeah. And, uh, and they can just do it. And then they don't, have, and then they don't have to think about it. You know, they, they can just, they, it's down, it's on the paper. They can go back and reread it whenever they want and be like, okay, where, what was I thinking about? Ah, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Now I know where to go with that. Yeah. So it's really exciting when you get two different ideas to work together mm -hmm. that, that you didn't think were related at first. So like, okay, I want to do a movie about a princess or yeah. whatever. And then, okay, I want to do a movie about somebody with memory loss. And then suddenly yeah. like, oh, what if those two things go together? Yeah. Oh, a princess with amnesia. Because then it's like two ideas that, you were, that you've had kind of floating around in your head. If you can lock two or three of those together. Yeah. That's really special in my mind. Absolutely. So that's why I like having just all of these nuggets floating around. Yeah. Just little kind of slivers of ideas. Well, I remember watching, I remember watching um, the the gentleman who, Adam Hurst, who wrote uh, American Pie. And I remember him telling, uh, or doing an interview one time where he said, here's how you're going to speak this specific character. He's like, you're going to take this element over here and you're going to take this element over here and you're going to combine them together. Yeah. And it's just like, 
And then when you think about like the the process of that, you think about like what the what the two elements are. You're like that makes total sense. Yeah, that's a brilliant idea right there. Mm-hmm. And it was so it's so simple because usually it's something that's completely the opposite of this one. Yeah, and you just run those together and you find you have this wonderful idea that is created out of it. Yeah. And so now you have something that you can run with and you can just continue to do that for everything. Right. So it's, I don't know, it's just never limit yourself, I guess would be the way to go. Yeah. But it's combining of ideas is also important. And that's, I I like to think of it like making a stew. Like you're a chef making Mm -hmm. a stew and they're all just different various ingredients. (laughs) And so you can make, you know, you can, you can sort of take any set of ingredients and if you're careful in how you put them together Mm -hmm. and strategic in how you put them together, you can make kind of any stew work. Absolutely. But that's what's fun is you're, you're sort of given random ingredients. It's like, okay, make a meal out of this. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, but it's fun. It's it, that I like that exploration mm-hmm. of of or, or uh, it's problem solving. How do yeah. we how do we best make this stew Absolutely. work with these ingredients? Absolutely. Have we been? Uh, how long have we been going for? Do we have a time frame right uh, now? Or, uh, I don't know. I don't think it says anywhere. I'm not know. sure um, how bad, but. Um, I don't know. Uh, that was good. Should that was we, great. Should, yeah. should we wrap this one up for yeah. today? Yes. This was awesome, man. This was fun. This was good. We got to do this again. Yeah. So we um, lost, uh, we had four cameras rolling. We lost okay. two of them. We lost them. two of them. But it looks um, like mine, I think mine is still going, which yes. is good. Um, but uh, Cool. Any plugs? You want to promote uh, anything? What should we, what, oh boy, what should I plug? Uh, what do I do? Uh, hit record, I guess. I do work on hit record quite a bit. So um, go on hit record. Check out... Uh, the stuff on there. Also, YouTube. It's under the 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 handle for my channel is Senseless Productions, and then it's underscore X. I got everything that I've done up there. I do a kind of a movie review channel where what we were talking about earlier, where I will cut my own trailer for a film. So hopefully, people see that they'll like that. Um, and then uh, yeah, that's all my work up there. So I'll I'll shamelessly plug that. Cool. Yeah. Anything you want to say for you? Do you want to plug uh, anything? Just DivinityPictures.com. Awesome. That's let's see. I think this is my active camera now. <laughs> right uh, there. Uh, yeah, all my stuff's there. Uh, feature films, scripts, uh, YouTube videos. Awesome. And uh, yeah, do we do we have a name for this podcast? I don't know. I think. Uh, Maybe next week. We'll yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll work on that. We'll work on the name. We'll the, come up with a name the, uh, for the socially distanced. Podcast. There we go. Right. There. Or what? Or what about um, two cameras down, two to go? I like that one. That's or a good maybe, one too. Or like last camera standing, something like that. I like that. Like because we'll we'll try to do that every time. Maybe we'll have four cameras and see how long it takes for two of them yeah, to go down. That always happens. Yeah, it always happens with GoPro. Like oh. there's so much, I I do YouTube videos here where I'm filming myself with GoPro and they they always just die like in the mm. middle of the take and they'll they'll beep on the as they're dying yeah. you know so it'll it'll continue <laughs> to ruin the take because sometimes I was like oh fuck I don't need B cam. Hi, I'm Elliot Devaney. Yep. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> then I'll like turn to yell at this one, and then that one will go out, and then that oh. one will start beeping. So it's just a, it's a just con- limitations, man. We gotta, a, yeah, we gotta right. work within the time frame yeah, we have. We, I guess you gotta love those limitations. Oh my goodness. Well, this was great. It's good to talk to you. Yes. I know it's been a little while since we've uh, we've gotten together. Yeah. But uh, we should do this again. This was awesome. Yeah. Had a good time. This but was uh, it, was, it was great talking to you, my friend. I'm Elliot Devaney. I'm Jimmy Sensi, and uh, we are out. See, we are out. see, you, see you guys time. next time. Yeah.